Hello, and welcome to the Brain Mastery Podcast, brought to you by ABI Wellness. This series features renowned experts on brain injury, brain health, and rehabilitation. Be sure to visit abiwellness.com for more resources. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to the Brain Mastery Podcast. Today's episode is going to be uh, really interesting as we're going to cover a lot around sort of, you know, yes, physiotherapy, uh, yes, outpatient rehab, but also alignment of systems, which is really interesting. And I think is oftentimes kind of underrepresented in the narrative out there in healthcare, but it actually serves as a great opportunity for improvement of operations and also ultimately patient care. So today's guest uh, is Evan Kennedy, and he's the director of, of kind of outpatient uh, operations and programs for, at PAM Health, but he's kind of all over the place. This guy, <laughs> yeah. I, I think today we're we're in the great state of Missouri, but typically we're hanging our hat in the great state of Texas. So, Evan, thanks so much for joining us today. Mark, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Uh, talking before the call, I left San Antonio at 104 degrees and landed in Missouri at 95. So, definitely feeling the heat. <laughs> no kidding. Well, I'm, as you can tell from my accident, I'm still up here in Canada and it's a little bit colder, but we've been going through a pretty significant heat wave, you know, mid eighties for us is still it's pretty hot. So, you know, when we think about your work, here you are working in sort of a role where you, yes, you're a clinician. Yes, you're a physio, but you're now seeing yourself sort of in this role of, of outpatient, maybe help us to understand number one, why physio? What got you into this? And then number two, lead us into uh, your current sort of role. Sure. So when I started off just trying to be a physical therapist, I wanted to be the best clinician I could be. And I think that's the route that everybody wants to take. Um, but everybody may veer off and uh, start to specialize as they really get um, in tune and in depth uh, and really have more experience in the field. So with my first job in San Antonio, I wanted to be the best clinician, wanted to be um, the best outpatient clinician that I could be, um, looking at manual therapy, uh, working with athletes, uh, looking at all the fun stuff. But about three months into practice, my supervisor went into uh, labor and I was covering her job mm -hmm. um, while she was out on maternity leave. So when she came back, I let her know that I loved what I was doing covering in that leadership role and asked for an opportunity. One thing led to another and uh, I, you know, became a supervisor over a clinic, helped op open uh, multiple outpatient centers for that uh, hospital-based outpatient network that I was working in. I uh, went back to school to get my master's in healthcare administration um, and slowly moved up the uh, hierarchy of the management ladder for healthcare. And here I am with PAM Health. So cool. That's awesome. So when we think about, you know, kind of a, a, a rare physiotherapist. So when you think about PT, what makes PT such a good sort of foundation um, to lead into your current role? What is it about PT? I think the ability to treat multiple diagnoses, uh, being hands-on with the patient, it definitely gives uh, us as healthcare professionals experiences that not a whole lot of other uh, healthcare or even rehabilitation professionals um, see. That touch component, the hands-on component with the patients uh, makes a huge difference. When we prescribe exercise, when we prescribe um, you know, the education that we give our patients, 
it's very different than a pill. So the way that healthcare is going yeah. um, from preventative medicine to what we see um, and what we have seen over the past decade, where we have individuals that are treating the diagnosis after it's happened or after the fact. Absolutely. And that's really problematic when we look at the kind of blend of comorbidities. Where do we start, right? Um, and Definitely. we're seeing that, you know, everywhere with this opioid issue that we're, we're all seeing everywhere, you know, oftentimes it starts with, you know, something that maybe could have been addressed far sooner and reduced the amount of pain and suffering uh, long term. So when we look at preventative medicine, I love where you're going with that, you know, and, and we look at, I remember I was in Costco the other day with my, with my wife and my kids and, and I looked over and I saw this, this. If we're, we're going towards the line, I saw this, you know, picture of Albert Einstein, which always, you know, perks up my interest and or the likeness of <laughs> Albert <laughs> Einstein. And, um, you know, it was for some sort of like pain medication or brain enhancement medication. And I'm like, oh, God, you know, like, like do we, you know, like, like, because we all want the quick and easy, right? We're all human. Uh, but maybe talk a little bit to your experience uh, as a physio and what, like, what was it that really drove adherence to the protocol? Because it must be frustrating. Every time I go into the physio and I take my son, my son's a young, young athlete, and I take him in and I'm like, your job must be frustrating at times because adherence can be so low for some. So maybe talk a little bit to that. What, what drives good adherence and compliance with, with outpatient rehab and physiotherapy? Oh, I think it's a multidisciplinary approach, um, but specifically an interdisciplinary approach, especially when talking about uh, my role uh, currently at Pam Health. So before I was um, just over our outpatient department, so over one service line, but my role has evolved into the ambulatory service line. So that encompasses everything from our traditional PT, OTSLP, down to wound care, to outpatient physical medicine and rehabilitation clinics. And so in our inpatient service line, we have uh, what we call our interdisciplinary team meetings. And so if somebody gets referred to our hospital, um, we have all of our uh, rehab professionals, all of the healthcare professionals in the hospital, um, we have a meeting uh, two to three times a week. And so uh, what we do is we look at how the patient is doing as a whole. We consider how they were when they were first introduced uh, and admitted into the hospital system. We look at their goals and what they need to look like at discharge. And again, these are patients that are looked at on an individual basis, right? And we take their goals into consideration and with that decide where they should be discharged after that. Coming into uh, my role uh, as an ambulatory director um, made me look at the hospital ecosystem as a whole. So mm. our patients never plan on getting injured. When it comes down to brain injury, TBI, they never plan on getting sick. Um, there's a, a quote um, that I like it said, health is not valued till the sickness comes. And uh, that's a, a very true statement, right? And with that, most individuals don't have a plan on what to do if they get sick. So it's up to us as rehabilitation professionals, as healthcare professionals, uh, to help guide them and really hold their hands throughout this process so that way they can get better. And so just taking brain injury as an example, 
if I'm in a motor vehicle accident and I have to be rushed to the emergency room, time is of the essence, right? Um, there's multiple research articles that state that when you have a traumatic injury like that, you really have to get to an emergency room. You have to seek care as soon as possible. Well, the care doesn't stop in the emergency room. What happens after they're discharged from the ER? Do they go to the ICU, to the maybe neuro unit for head trauma in the acute care hospital? And then what happens after that? You know, we have social workers that do a fantastic job at finding the next best course of action for that patient. But this is where my role comes in. And we really look at that interdisciplinary approach. As a physical therapist, sometimes I would get a patient that would come in, let's say, you know, post brain, brain injury. So TBI, we have an athlete that was concussed um, and they would come in with a referral that would say evaluate and treat. I wouldn't necessarily get any previous medical history from the patient. Um, if I needed to get previous medical history, I'm asking the patient themselves. And oftentimes, if you have someone who has a TBI, they're not the best individuals who are going to give you that, that history, right? Is it going no. to be accurate? And so what we try doing or what I try doing at my role um, and also in my role at PAM Health um, is try to create these interdisciplinary teams in between service lines because you're never just going to need the outpatient therapy. Mm -hmm. You're never going to need the acute care hospital, right? And so with that, going through the continuum of care, if we start to utilize the same outcome measures in the emergency room, in our acute care department, our LTACs, our inpatient hospitals, all the way down to our outpatient nabulatory service lines, how much better will our outcomes be? And so there's multiple research articles that state when you help develop that hospital ecosystem, when you have collaboration and communication between healthcare professionals, the outcomes for these patients no question. really start to flourish. The evidence is so strong. The, the challenge though, and it is a real challenge because uh, you and I both work clinically. It is a very real challenge. It's not, you know, it, otherwise everyone would just be doing it, you know, but you know, what led me is, as you know, in some of our, our previous conversations and I've, uh, you know, for our listeners, you know, Evan and I have come to know each other over, over a few months and kind of right away in our first conversation, this topic was something that resonated with both of us as a challenge. Right. And it was part of why, you know, I, I played a role in helping to start a not-for-profit uh, system here and, and also help to start the organization that I now serve our, our clinicians in is trying to fill some of those gaps. Because I think that the reality, my, my kind of inspiration for our listeners is this is the problem we can work towards solving. I really believe it. Because when we look at other, other areas of care, we talk about ambulatory, you know, even in places like cardiac rehab or places like, um, you know, pulmonary and cancer rehab, um, there are good systems in there that help to align some of those care models. So taking that knowledge and then blending it appropriately in a way, I love what Evan said, he took, took it right out of my mouth, truly interdisciplinary, not multidisciplinary, because the multidisciplinary is really burning out the, the, not only the patient, but the, the, the insurance and the provider that are siloed in different parts. So maybe talk a little bit to that, because I think you have such lived experience and knowledge on this for our listeners, maybe there's a little bit of inspiration you can give to them. Because some I hear they're saying, it's just not going to happen. I can't do it. And I'm like, no, not. it's just 
not yet, right? <laughs> we we, we right. can do it. We can do it. And we're seeing it. That's the fun part for us. We are seeing it happen. It's just we have to really identify very clearly uh, where we need to try to start. So maybe talk a little bit to that in your experience. Right. Well, a lot of the, that comes from the documentation um, that we have with insurances. I mean, mm -hmm. we could go on and on about insurances and reimbursement and the struggle that, you know, this causes for the patients. But bottom line is that insurances want to see results. But as healthcare professionals, we want to see results too, right? As, you know, when I'm looking and, and treating an individual who's had any type of brain injury, um, we're looking at the individual as a person, not a statistic. And so I want to know what that individual wants to get back to. What did you do before the injury? And how can we get you close to, as close to a hundred percent as, as possible? And so looking at, um, just the history of, of brain injury. You know, they started tracking brain injury, um, you know, back during the Civil War. And unfortunately, um, we've had a lot of advancements through treatment of brain injury and TBI um, when it comes to the military, right? They're uh, one of the leading, leading research experts um, as, to, as to how to treat um, this injury. And so with that, if you go back to um, like the Persian Gulf War in the early 90s, yep. there was not an interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary team. It was usually seeing one healthcare provider. And then that was that, right? So, you know, six months after injury, we start noticing all these other things that start to happen. And then because of that, we have um, the military start to remote research in this area. And, you know, fast forward 20 years, um, into the, the war in, in Iraq and Afghanistan in 2001. Yeah. Um, and there was a ton that had changed. Now a, an interdisciplinary approach is taken and that model had been adapted to healthcare overall. And so it's not something that's, that's mind boggling. It makes sense, right? We know that the research supports it, but as healthcare professionals, this should be something that we try doing all the time, right? It doesn't matter the injury. It could be brain injury. It could be spinal cord injury. Yep. Um, but even something as we, we see it as, as small, but like lower back pain, right? Yeah. If we have that collaboration yeah. in between healthcare professionals, regardless of diagnosis, it just makes everything so much better. The communication, the collaboration really improves the outcome for the patient overall. Well, that's what I want to see, right? I mean, it was interesting, and I don't know if I shared this with you, but time for me to switch on the vulnerable switch. So, you know, I was sick, you know, and, and I, it really resonates with what you said. You know, you don't really think about it till it's in front of you. And uh, I was sick with an illness, uh, a cancer illness, and and when I went in for the ambulatory clinic, you know, they they did all the assessments. Medical staff were total pros, amazing, unbelievable humans. And what was interesting is we did like almost like a PHQ-9, right? Like to start, which is a, a assessment of, of how I'm doing today, right? And it's kind of right. subjective. However, it's underpinned with objectivity as well because it, it establishes a baseline, right? And, and and then we would go and do all of the different, you know, deep dives into CT scans, uh, you know, MUGA scans for the heart, um, looking into things like PET scans, um, uh, you know, these sorts of things. But well, this is what really inspired me, Evan. The first area of of assessment was always a PHQ-9. And that was really fascinating to me is how am I self-reporting today? 
irregardless of, you know, let's say tumor size, that sort of thing of blood biomarkers. Quite interesting. And, and if we can do a better way at integrating those data together in a way that is accessible to the frontline and the continuum of care, we know what happens. You know, people who got into this work for the for the purpose that they had that physio that changed their life and they wanted to give that right. gift to the next people. Well, we have a simple, not simple, we have a challenging operational system to modify, adjust, improve to enable more of those people to do the wonderful work they do. One of the people we work with a little bit in the in the United States there in New Jersey, great guy. He's like, you know, I, I'll butcher the New Jersey accent, so I won't do it. Um, but he kind of tells me, I got into this work to treat more people and less paper. And I want to do that. You know, I'm tired of, because he will have to do chiropractic, you know, massage or, or you know, uh, so, different sort of things from that lens. But he will also want to get into, okay, how do I help with their attention, their memory, their planning? And how do I optimize that Agreed. with the time that I have for each person, right? So I love what right. you're saying. I just love what you're saying. It's so true. And and the, the unfortunate part is we see this sort of in cardiac. We see more funding for these sorts of things. We see this more sort of in the cancer place, depending on the jurisdiction and the insurance. But we have a great opportunity behaviorally to do more of this on the brain health side, which is really exciting. I think it's an exciting area. I, think, I hear a lot of people with massive frustration. They're so upset. You know, I go to the ACRM conferences usually. Uh, I'll, I'll hopefully likely be in Atlanta in a couple months. But, you know, this is something we can move towards solving. And, and I think it's, uh, yes, it's problematic. Yes, it's frustrating. Yes, it's maddening. But I believe, and I'm an optimist, I believe I'm seeing evidence in front of me with better brain-based assessments coming up from various companies around the world. The insurers are starting to move towards covering more of these, which is going to be able to help us give a better baseline and then give a great argument for the interdisciplinary care. I don't know if, sorry, I went on a rant, but... Oh, you're good. I mean, I, I completely agree with you. So with, with that, you know, having these interdisciplinary teams, having collaboration between multiple healthcare systems, right? So from the acute care to the inpatient to the outpatient, it just promotes more advanced research, right? When we have these cohort studies that we follow over a period of time, starting in the ICU and then coming all the way down to when the patient is discharged home, you, you normally don't see those, right? You see... Right you know, the protocols of individuals who are in a certain service line, whether that be acute care or outpatient, inpatient versus LTAC. But you don't see what the system or the process should look like throughout the entire health system. And so my hope is to help promote that hospital ecosystem. So that way we do get the data overall. Love it. Yeah, 100%. And um you and I could do a whole separate episode just on that, but that that's for later. So when we think about this world, and I think you've already hinted at the answer, you know, when, when we look at the world, and I'm going to generalize back out to just brain health, when you, when you look at that sort of world, inclusive of outpatient, inpatient, all of it, um, and lived experience, what are some of your frustrations around this work right now? I think, you know, we, in the past 20 years, we've made a lot of advancement in mm -hmm treatment of TBI and brain injury. However, we've we've barely only scratched the surface. And so, you know, with that, there's definitely room to continue with research. And there's often, you know, not a lot of funds that go into that. And so as healthcare professionals, we need to support and drive the ability to to get data because 
it's easy for us to, to do that and then for researchers to take the data that we have. And so although we may not be part of research studies ourselves, the collaboration between the healthcare professionals and these universities and different research projects uh, will be able to advance the treatment of, of brain injury and TBI in the years to come. So again, we've, we've barely scratched the surface, but we, we've gotten a whole lot better at it. You can see what, you know, as we were talking earlier, the military has done um, and different professional athletes. I mean, look at what the NFL is doing. Oh yeah. Um, and again, this is, this is all relatively new. So it'll be interesting to see where, where we'll be at in the next 20 years. Well, and it leads to exactly what you were saying there. You know, I think I've mentioned before, I've been brought in a couple of times by dif different professional organizations, one of them, a uh, certain football organization and their alumni. And, you know, what I want to be a part of creating the change in is, is getting to these, you know, cognitive functions earlier. You know, so, so we, we recognize that the risk of exposure to things such as CTE are increased by engaging in certain behavioral activities. However, what can we do behaviorally and cognitively to keep us as sharp as possible? Right. And, and, and that's where my mind goes. You know, you, you know, like uh, I played football. Did you, did you play football? Yeah, I thought. Yes. So. Uh, where did you play? Austin, Texas, where, where awesome. I grew up. Yes. Awesome. Okay. So in football haven, like in the real football world. Um, and there, there's nothing like Texas football. Oh, my God. Yeah, I can't even believe it. it like, <laughs> even up here in Canada, we've heard all about Permian. So, like, you know, when I was down at Michigan in Indiana High School, well, two guys from Permian were there. And I read Friday Night Lights, like the first version. And I was like, you want a Permian? We got to talk. Let's go for ice cream. And it was just an unbelievable story. But, you know, when we think about that, I'm surely there's guys you played with. What's interesting is some of them took care of themselves physically. Right. And, and, and they just kept going. They kept on that journey. They kept on that grind of self-investment of, of physical fitness and health. And then you had others that just funnily enough, oftentimes they're the skills guys who were like the most ripped and shaped people. And then when, when the time to play ends, you see a, a significant change in behavior and then change in health. And physically, I'm optimistic because I'm seeing more and more people. The pandemic showed us this. You don't necessarily have to have your trainer all the time. There are some things you can do virtually, whether it's a Peloton or whatever, to help you keep your health where you want it. Now, cognitively, we have a similar type opportunity that's coming up. And, and what's exciting is how do we align those two things together? Because really, you know, the body's job is really just to carry that brain around. <laughs> so sure. how do we align those two things together? And I think that's really interesting and exciting because I've seen what I, what I found was really interesting. It's a lot of alignment, a lot of the alignment. So these are guys for our listeners who don't know football, these are guys who are on average about six, four and like 300 pounds. And a lot of them later on are now, you know, obviously maybe a little shorter, but they're like two thirty. you know, because they, they, right. they, they've totally transformed their body. They didn't need all that weight. Well, cognitively a lot of people that played they're very you can speak to this they're very concerned about the brains you know if we're playing a sport it doesn't need to be a full you know collision sport like football or rugby or hockey but it can be people who are aging and concerned about their brain health just like they are their physical health so how do we invite them what are the things that we can do systematically to enable them to take charge of more of that yeah so um what position did you play running back running. i'm uh Five eight, so I couldn't be a, a lineman or even a middle linebacker. So I had to <laughs> had to run in between the tackle. Oh, not even. A, oh, yeah. So you, whew, 
you've lived it, man. Yeah, yeah. I I played D tackle and and a little bit of left tackle. So so I'm about I was about six two and a bit. So too too small to play O line in college. So I I had to move over to D line. But yeah, yeah. Looking looking at uh, NFL players these days, I'd definitely be the smallest guy on the field. Oh. Uh, no question. Me too. I wouldn't be far off. I mean, these guys are athletes. <laughs> so, you know, it's uh, it's it's a really exciting, uh, it's exciting time that we're, we're bringing more attention to brain health now, which I think is good. And more research is coming sure. in. Say what you will. Some people are critical of who's funding the research. I'm not going to get into that. It's just, it is good that there's attention going to this. And they're, and they're trying to work hard to play the game a bit safer. When I played, the head was heavily involved. Now it's not even an option, which is which is, I think, a good thing for the most part. And, right. you know, it's a process, obviously. In Texas, I'm curious, in Texas, how are they taking this flag football before 14? That's probably a no-fly zone in Texas. <laughs> yeah, no, de- definitely not. I think they have uh, either seven or eight-man football for some of the smaller high schools, but uh, flag football is a no-go here. Really? Wow. Crazy. Okay, I'll leave that one alone, too. Because I, I just know <laughs> so much about the brain. So, uh, and and I'm, I'm concerned, but... Um, when we look at sort of your influences, you're a well-read guy, clearly, and you have a lot of lived experience. What are some of your uh, greatest influences in the work? Uh, I think um, I'm a first-generation college graduate, so my parents had a, a huge influence on me um, just to, to really graduate school, right? And they wanted me to be the best clinician. So moving into management, they're like, what the heck are you doing? But here I am. But throughout my career, transitioning from a healthcare professional into leadership positions. Mm. I've had multiple mentors along the way. You know, it's a, it's a difficult transition, um, but it really makes sense. You have to have individuals who have experienced the, the life of treatment, right? Because uh, having that patient interaction is something that I think every uh, healthcare leader needs. So along my journey, I've definitely had uh, multiple influences of peers and and supervisors that, that have helped me along the way. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Is there is there one piece of research or book that that did it for you too along the way? Uh Atul Gawande, uh I believe that's how you say his yeah. name. Uh, um he has multiple books that really dig into the the life of a of a physician and a healthcare mm-hmm. professional. Mm-hmm. Um how we have to make difficult decisions, but yet yet stay calm um and really think outside of the box when it comes to being a healthcare professional. Um so he's definitely someone who Love I've it. enjoyed reading. Love it. Love it. For me it was a you know a couple of my mentors who really uh, I'm dyslexic, was diagnosed with that in grade one. And I always saw the brain as fixed. You know, I saw the body as as dynamic and could move and understood biomechanic, biomechanics in my undergraduate work and understood it from human performance in football. But I always saw the brain as a fixed organ. And once I learned about neuroplasticity and that, you know, through focus, tension and effort at appropriate level, one can actually improve their cognitive function just like one can improve their physical. My sure. mind was absolutely blown. And then, of course, Chicksey Mahai's work on flow state was like, I remember reading that in the old, now I'm older than you, but on the old photocopied full scap things, I remember reading this. I'm like, why am I reading this? And how in the hell do I say this guy's name? But it, <laughs> when, it, when we looked at optimal experience, I, I was 
I like right away, right there, I was like, oh my God, this is remarkable. And now everybody's talking about it. So I feel like I knew something some other people didn't know quite early on, but those are two. Barbara Aerosmith Young and her work in neuroplasticity, Dr. Norman Doidge in neuroplasticity, highlighting some of the tops and then Chick Sam and High. So for people who are out there now, what's your hope for the future? You know, it, it, you know, here's somebody who's relatively young in his career, who's done a lot and has his hands in many different areas of the continuum. What's your hope for the future when we think about the world of brain health? Not necessarily just, you know, physical therapy, but that generalized world of brain health from hospital system to allied health to the individual. Collaboration. You know, having collaboration in between all of these healthcare professionals is going to make our outcomes so much better. When, you know, at, at PEM Health, we've worked with high school athletes, we've worked with middle school athletes, um, and have performed impact tests. So this yep. is before the season starts, we start uh, baseline testing these individuals. And having a baseline makes so much of a difference, right? Because we yep. know where they started. So if these individuals um, and, and the, the youth, if they, they get concussed, um, we're able to have a baseline to, to refer back to. And so using our physicians in our outpatient PMF clinics, having them go through um, our PT, OT, SLP service lines, then with that, having them go through uh, and talk to other, other health professionals, um, it really just, just helps their outcomes overall. And so being able to collaborate um, on a grander scale, it, you know, we know when we talk about, you know, TBI individuals that are in the military, we may not always have a baseline, but the collaboration between systems, between healthcare professionals, uh, and really having the same outcome measures across the board are definitely going to improve our outcomes. No question. Amen. Couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. And, and that's what we try to do with this, with this platform is share, you know, some stories of, people doing really innovative things in there, whether it's in stroke, TBI, generalized health or lived experience or anything in between. Uh, we want to share that because, uh, you know, some of these things, this collaboration is very possible. And my hope and my encouragement in our show notes, you know, Evan's contact info will be in there or Pam Health as well. And you can just click. If you want to learn more, if you want to connect and learn more about what Pam Health is all about. You can do that. So, you know, I just want to thank you for spending some time with us. I know you're a really busy guy. And um, you gave me a couple thoughts where there's some connections I can make for you once we stop recording. Uh, because I there's some, yeah, there's some opportunity there. And, uh, you know, I, I want to thank everyone for listening. You know, if this one resonated for you, please download it and share it uh, within your community. Because, you know, outpatient, I think, is going to be an area where there's great opportunity to move the needle. And up until recently, there's been far less focus on it. But I think that's going to be one of the ways where we can do the most good is really investing in that system. So thank you again, Evan. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Mark. Thank you so much for continuing to listen to the Brain Mastery podcast. We're super grateful for the community of supporters of this podcast. Again, this 
podcast was designed with an intention and an objective, and that was to share stories of rehabilitation, of recovery from brain injury, to really interview some of the leaders out there to provide more hope to community members. So thank you again for all of the support with that. If this episode resonated for you and had value for you, we just ask, please download and share it. Please also, if you wouldn't mind, rate the podcast. Those ratings really matter and help us to spread the message. If you're a clinical provider out there, meaning a physical therapist, an occupational therapist, or somebody who just works with people with brain injury and want to learn more about the Bears platform, we've tried to make it as easy as possible for you to do so. Just go to www.abiwellness.com to learn more about how to get involved. Uh, Training is very accessible and we've tried to make it very, very easy for people to get access to this neurorehabilitation platform. Thank you again for your support and we'll see you on the next episode. The statements made regarding the Bears platform and ABI Wellness have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The efficacy of the Bears platform has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. The Bears platform is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All information presented here is not meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from healthcare practitioners. Please consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. The Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act requires this notice.